HMP. And hello, from, I'm, I'm attending the show remotely from Ashfield where I look out the window and it's white and we're going to get more white tonight. We're really excited. Hi, Dan Torres. How you doing, Buzz? You ready to hunker down? I'm um, hunker down. I'm excited about it. Uh, I don't know, 6 to 12, I don't know what we're going to get. We're at about 1,500 feet here, so... They say in the elevations, it's going to get a little bit more snow, and we're looking forward to it. How about you and Emmer? Uh, we're looking forward to the rain, apparently, that we're Cold getting. Cold rain. Cold rain. That's the best. <laughs> Cold rain. That's exactly what I like. Well, anyway, so uh, I'm excited about our first segment. Our second segment, on uh, Take 5 today, we're going to be with uh, Dr. Uh, Jonathan Bayek. We're going to be promoting... The Suzanne Vega concert at the Academy of Music this Saturday, which I do hope, I think there's 803 seats. I hope they sell 803 tickets because it is a benefit for one roof for the homeless um, to put homeless into shelters. And and uh, I, I do hope that it's a, it's a sellout this Saturday and um, that all that cold rain doesn't deter people. Um, tomorrow, uh, we're going to be doing the, uh, a very nice piece by Duke Goldman on the World Cup on soccer in general. I'm sure Dan's going to get extremely excited about that because he's a World Cup, uh, fan. I'm sure you're looking forward to that, Dan. I am absolutely looking forward to Duke's comments. And Travis Drury, the chair of the Greenfield Community Preservation Committee, will be with us tomorrow. But... Right now, we have in studio Brian Adams with Hillary Cause Elwood. Hello, Brian. Hey, Buzz. I hope you feel better, and I hope you get the snow you want. Thanks. I just wanted to make one more announcement, which is, I don't know if folks know, but the government has just approved. Uh, it's re-upped its free COVID test um, program for those people who, uh, if, if you have insurance, your health insurance probably pays for it. If you have Medicare, it pays for it. You can get plenty of test kits for free. But... For those who don't, um, all you have to do is um, in, a, in your browser put covid.gov and they will mail to you. Uh, right now it looks like in, immediately four test kits. We're hoping that it's going to be four test kits a month. So we'll see what Congress does when Congress reconvenes on January 3rd. But um, I did want to announce that so that everybody has uh, test kits as we're entering this new uh, COVID rush that's, that's happening. So. Anyway, all yours, Brian. What Thank you, you Buzz. Today? It's, yeah, sounds like miserable weather coming up tomorrow, particularly in the valley here with cold rain. And what better way to spend a miserable weather day than cuddling up or curling up on the couch with a good book? And who best to talk about books, particularly nature and environment books, than Hillary Calls, Hillary Calls Elwitt, who is our guest today. Hillary, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hillary is the coordinator for the Nature and Environment Book Club at Forbes Library. They meet once a month, the second Wednesday of the month, and look at some of the best writing and environmental uh, reporting that's out there with great discussions about books. Uh, Hillary, let's cut to the quick here. Your favorite nature and environment book, what is it? So I have a favorite author, um, we read Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kemmerer a few years ago, and I just absolutely fell in love with this book, as did everyone who read it. And we most recently read her book, uh, Gathering Moss, which came out even earlier. So Braiding Sweetgrass came out in 2015, and as we were talking about, it it's such a great story. Um, so the subtitle is Indigenous Wisdom, Scientific Knowledge, and the Teaching of Plants. And it was put out by a small independent press and just through word of mouth, it became this tremendous success story. It has sold and sold and sold, and people, I had I had heard about it and heard about it until we finally uh, read it as a group. I've, I've read it a number of times subsequently, and it just really changed the way that I look at the world. She has a, an amazing way of weaving together story, science, because she's a botanist by training, and an indigenous approach to the land, um, she she is a Native American, a member of the Potawatomi tribe, and 
she has this this way of looking at you know issues that we have in our contemporary Western society from this from this very different point of view, talking about um, a, a gift culture and reciprocity, and it's it's heartwarming, sometimes depressing, educational. It's it's really a fantastic book, and it was really interesting to read Braiding Sweetgrass, which she wrote about ten years before that. I mean, sorry to read um, the Moss book, Gathering Moss which the subtitle is A Natural and Cultural History of Mosses. And just in this description of that organism, that's her training, she's a botanist who specialized in mosses, those same threads were there, in, sort of in embryo. And she's just such a gifted writer. So that, that, that was an easy choice. I sort of ranked, of the, of the 91 books that we've read so far, I, I found it very easy to, to pick those two at the top. Braiding Sweetgrass and Gathering Moss. That's right. And the author's name is? Robin Wall Kimmerer. Who will be appearing at Smith this February, correct? Yes, I think it's February. I wasn't able to check the details, but if you just go online uh, at Smith College's website, it's it's one of their, you know, sort of headlining events that's going to be coming up in early 2023. And I'm sure it will be very, very well attended. Uh, she spoke at Greenfield High School over the summer, and that auditorium was full. She's pe- people who know her love her, so I'm always excited to get new people. Sounds involved. like a great, great read. Some of the it seems to me, Hillary, that some of the most influential uh, science nature books aren't all that accessible to the general audience. I'm thinking of some of the science ones. You know, the mathematical principles of natural philosophy by Isaac Newton. There's been books by Galileo, by Aristotle. All of these, boom, go over my head. It takes a special kind of science, nature, environment writer to write a book for the general audience. We were just talking about that last night. So we had our our monthly meeting uh, last night at 6.30 at, at Forbes Library, where we, where we meet, and the book that we read yesterday is called The Death and Life of, of the Great Lakes by Dan Egan, and he's a journalist, and one of the participants mentioned that she thinks that journalists make among the best writers on these topics because they know how to find the story, and you're absolutely right that someone who's deep into it, you know, the person who's actually made the discoveries or the mathematicians or whatever, they may not have the ability to present it to a lay audience in a way that's both compelling and understandable. And so many of the books that we've read, I think, are are by science communicators. So that isn't necessarily somebody who is primarily a scientist, although sometimes they are. Some are absolutely gifted writers. But often someone who comes from a different background can present it in a, in a really compelling way. And I think of sometimes I've, I've read books, and one that comes to mind is A Brief History of Time by Stephen Hawking. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is blowing my mind. Wow. And then when I get to the next paragraph, I've completely forgotten the paragraph before because it's so overwhelming. That's uh, very funny. You know, that book is famous as being one of the most purchased and least read <laughs> books of all time. When, when you have to have in your study. But, exactly, but uh, very few. I, I have to admit, I did not get all the way through that book. If we chose it for this book group, I would read it because I absolutely read every book that we choose. And, and that's that's one of the reasons I enjoy partici- participating in a book group. And uh, some of the members have said this as well. Like, you know it will get you to pick up books that you might not have chosen on your own and finish them and find wonderful books that you would not necessarily have picked. How do you decide which book to to read in the Nature and Environmental Book Club? So what we do is I collect recommendations from people from our you know from our readers, and the only requirement is that Forbes Library has to be able to get enough copies. So there has to be at least a dozen or so copies in the system, ideally more, and not a brand brand new book that's going to you know still have a waiting list possibly, but. From those recommendations, I basically put a poll together and people vote on it. And we try to have a distribution of different kinds of books. We've traditionally tried to do a book about water every year, like that's an inexhaustible topic, a book about trees. And then we try to alternate between sort of, you know, classics of nature writing, uh, cross-disciplinary books that might be a memoir, um, 
climate change and other sort of single issue, super depressing topics. We don't want to read that uniquely. So we try to kind of mix it up between various topics. One of the one of the other things that's been kind of fun is to pick uh, books on specific organisms. So we've read books on beavers, coyotes, rattlesnakes. We have a book on whales, a book on butterflies coming up. We've done octopus. So sometimes those are, are really uh, revealing because through the lens of one organism, you get so much information about, you know, other, other domains. It's kind of all pulled together through that one lens. One of my favorite books about organisms is written by the great Harvard uh, biologist E.O. Wilson, Edward Wilson, uh, commonly referred to as the Ant Man. We read uh, Journey to the Ants. Oh my God! Yes. That was just—I mean, I—I I can't kill an ant now. You know, even if it's right. inside, I have to pick it up and bring it outside. Just—it's a, a remarkable book about a remarkable insect. And that's one of the things about this—you know, this sort of area, nature and environment. No matter what you look at, if you dive deeply enough, there are fascinating aspects and fascinating stories to be found. You talk about classic nature books, and do you get books where people are so excited to read it, they read it and it's like, oh my goodness, what a letdown. And I think personally, for me, Walden by Thoreau. I reread yes. it, and it was like, oh my goodness, this is the most boring book, and I, I, I hate to say this, I feel sort of bad saying it, I mean, it's, they're brilliant paragraphs and brilliant sentences, but most of it was, what a slog. Well, you know, the, the thing about a book like that, and we've, had, we've read several over the years where it's kind of divisive. So you have people who are like, I love this book, and other people who say, I hated this book. And often that makes a very rich discussion. I don't know that—I I don't remember that we've had any aside from Walden that were— letdowns that people thought they were going to love. Uh, one book that was a re revelation for me was Silent Spring by Rachel Carson, which I had certainly heard of. I had no idea how well written it is and just how delightful. We have had a couple of books that everybody hated. So we, t we were talking about this last night. So the A number one was this book called The Revenge of Geography, which we thought was going to be sort of about human population changes and shifts. And it was really just about population dynamics in the late 19th century. And it was really dry and really repetitive. But luckily, we haven't had many of those that are just like duds. Mostly, there's been something to appreciate. No duds need something to appreciate. <laughs> Let's get back to that book, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson. It's really a book that transformed our way of thinking. And that's a real magical book. And I, same thing, I read Rachel, Car I, I read Science Spring thinking, oh my God, there's going to be a critique of pesticides. What could be more boring? And it's poetry. It is. It and is the artwork beautiful. is beautiful. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah. And she wrote uh, a number of other books as well. Um, and totally trashed as a woman scientist when she was writing it in the 60s. She's, this is hysterical. This is extreme but really transformed our way of looking at pesticides, a book that, that really changed how we do business. Absolutely. Uh, we are talking uh, this afternoon with Hillary Cause-Elwood. Hillary is the coordinator for the Forbes Library Nature and Environment Book Club. And what a time to be talking about books with the holidays coming. you got to buy those books not from Amazon. Uh, you either check them out at the library, or you go to Broadside or Amherst Books or one of your local bookstores and pick them up. We will be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Sitting, singing songs for everyone. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Local burgers and fries, spiked milkshakes and more. It's not fast food, it's good food. Fast. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. I'm Tony Warden, President and Chief Executive Officer of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. 
I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season and a safe and healthy new year. Hi, this is Teresa from the 63 Federal Street Office of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I would like to wish all of our customers and their families a Christmas that's merry and bright and a happy new year filled with love, health, and happiness. Hi, this is Mandy. And this is Rachel from, from Greenfield, Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Bank. Wishing you and yours a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and all the other holidays you may celebrate this season. Hi, this is Jane Wolf, Senior Vice President of Residential Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I'd like to wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season and a prosperous new year. Hello, I'm James Alexander. Vice President and Commercial Lender located in Shelburne Falls. I want to wish everyone a happy and safe holiday season from the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. This is Chelsea. And this is Maggie. From the Commercial Loan Department. We want to wish our family, friends, and customers a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Some people know how to prepare seafood. Seafood's delicate. You don't want a heavy hand. Some people have the touch. Some of those people are in the kitchen at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, where there's a 40-year tradition of preparing seafood, wisdom passed along through the years. That's why when you have fish and chips at Paul and Elizabeth's, or Faroe Island salmon, or tempura shrimp with that light and lively orange ginger sauce, it's perfect every time. Fresh seafood, Paul and Elizabeth's, inside Thorns in downtown Northampton. Want to support the kind of talk you hear on the Afternoon Buzz? Want to hear your business's message here on WHMP? Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. We'll help you craft a marketing message that'll reach listeners of your favorite WHMP show. And you'll be supporting the local news, Valley Talk, and progressive voices you hear right here on WHMP. Let us know about your message. Email us, yourmessage at whmp.com. And add your message to our mission. And hear your message right here on WHMP. Your message at whmp.com. If your Spanish-speaking employees spoke better English, would that be good for business? If your English-speaking employees spoke a little Spanish, would that be good for business? The International Language Institute delivers workplace language training, improving communication among co-workers and with customers. You get financial assistance with the Massachusetts Workplace Training Express Fund. They cover 50 to 100% of the cost. So let's get going. Call or email the International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back. We're talking this afternoon with Hillary Calls Elwitt. She is the coordinator of the Forbes Library Nature and Environment Book Club. And what a better way to give a gift to a loved one this holiday season than a book about science and nature and the environment. Hillary, in doing my due diligence for this interview, I went, got lost in the in Google and the web for about three days looking at science books. And most people's list, the number one science book ever written is Charles Darwin, Charles Darwin's <coughs> Origin of Species. Uh, and really an amazing book and has really held up well in the 150, 60, 70 years since it, it, was, it was written. Uh, it's called The Most Important Science Book of All Time and really revolutionary revolutionizing our understanding of life and, and, and where we are. Darwin also wrote another book, Voyage of the Beagle, another really delightful, witty book, great natural history, uh, recounting his trip to the Galapagos in the 1830s. Uh, so that seems to be number one on, on, uh, on most people's lists in terms of science books. Can you go back through your list in terms of some of your top 10 of of uh, nonfiction science books. Well, definitely on on this list is um, local author uh, John Sinton, who's a historian, and he wrote this book called Devil's Den to Licking Water. The subtitle is The Mill River Through Landscape and History. So local interest, fascinating. Many illustrations, That that's definitely on my list. <clears throat> Hillary's got a little coughing fit going. She's not breaking up over the emotional issue of of books here just a little a little throat issue and Brian, i just have to interject with a question of you do okay. i did i really read in a in a new book called no more fairy tales that is a piece that you wrote called suck it up is that right oh my goodness buzz shameless self-promotion thank you for for bringing that up well, yeah you're I just, not promoting it i'm uh, promoting it you're promoting i'm it. somebody who read love in the time of climate change <laughs> The world's first Cli-Fi rom-com. Exactly. And loved it. 
That's it. Yeah, I, uh, I have a story published in an anthology of short stories uh, called No More Fairy Tales. And uh, this is, it's how to use fiction as a way to get out some of the messages of science and nature writing. Nonfiction can be scary and often inaccessible for a lot of people. So can fiction uh, and novels sort of fill that gap? And I contributed a story uh, to an anthology all about climate solutions. And the editor of this is convinced that catast you know, catastrophe and apocalypse doesn't always do the trick. If we're trying to encourage people to search for solutions, presenting the future, particularly with climate change, in an apocalyptic way is not the way to go, but focusing on solutions makes much more uh, sense. Uh, let's get back to Hillary. I think she's done with her coughing uh, for a little bit. Let's hope so. I uh, hope so. Let's get back a little bit for back to nonfiction and rounding out some of your top ten lists. So another pair I I wanted to mention is the the books by Charles Mann, who's also he, local. He lives in Amherst. He wrote 1491 New Re Revelations of the Americas Before Columbus, and then 1493 Uncovering the New World Columbus Created. And those are absolutely fascinating books, which I have given as gifts that have been very uh, very well received. They are basically everything that we don't know that you know we haven't been taught in school about what this continent was like pre-Columbus and the changes that what's called the Columbian Exchange brought new species, new people, new diseases, and how that changed everything. What else is on your list? So let's see. So um, Arctic Dreams by Barry Lopez, absolutely brilliant. We read that just a few months ago. A Short History of Nearly Everything by Bill Bryson, oh, which very, is amusing. Very funny, too. Yes, it's very funny and very informative. Uh, what else do I have? The Outermost House by Henry Beston. It's a memoir about uh, living on the very, very edge of Cape Cod during, a, during an entire year written pretty early. I think it's in the written in the 30s, maybe, and his house is long gone, but that was just a, a fascinating book. Hillary, we're, we're running out of time here. Let's switch very quickly to fiction. Do you have a top list for fiction books that you would recommend having to do with science, nature, the environment? We, we've read a couple in this group, and um, the one that jumps to mind is The Overstory by Richard Powers, which many people loved. I can't say I loved, loved it, I read many other fiction books, so it's tough to pick one. But one of the most interesting ones that we read was called The Bees, and it was a novel by Leline Paul told from the point of view of a honeybee, which sounds like a really difficult thing to pull off, but she did. It was, it was fascinating. One of the books that I recently read was by Barbara Kingsolver called Flight Behavior. Yes, we read that one as yeah, well. That's also which is good. It's an interesting climate change uh, book. I think if I had to choose my favorite not a fiction book. It would be the Lorax, Doctor. Yes, yes, yes. I yes, mean, yes. it is a great, great story um, with the classic line: "Unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better." It's not. We've been talking this afternoon with Hillary Calls Elwood. Hillary is the coordinator for the Forbes Library Nature Environmental Book Club. Hillary, if folks want to join the club, what do they do? How, how does that work? All you need to do really is show up 6.30, second Wednesdays of the month at Forbes Library. We also have a hybrid option. If you look on the Forbes Library website, you'll find all the details. Uh, or shoot me an email. I have a mailing list where I communicate with people. And sometimes people just want to be on the list so they know what we're reading, even if they don't want to come. Our libraries are so important to all of us. And the number of book clubs at Forbes and other libraries have is really astounding. And this is a good one, science and nature and the environment. Uh, stick with us. We will be back to talk about uh, the um, Sean Colvin, is it, concert coming up? No, did I say that wrong? Suzanne Vega. Oh, Suzanne, Suzanne Vega. Vega, sorry. Sorry, Sean. Sorry, Suzanne. Uh, so stick with us, and we'll be right back. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. There is a weather alert for snow and a rain-snow mix tonight through Saturday morning. The Hilltowns and Berkshire County are forecasted to receive several inches of snow tonight. Your full forecast with 22 News Storm Team meteorologist Brian Lapis is coming up. A man is dead following an accident in Springfield yesterday afternoon. Springfield police were called to Dwight and Congress Street around 3.40 p.m. for an accident involving a pedestrian. After being taken to Bay State Medical Center, the man later died. The accident is under investigation. A Maryland man has been sentenced to four years in prison for a 2021 sexual assault of a teenager from Amherst. 42-year-old David Gray Jr. pleaded guilty to two counts of statutory rape and one charge of possession of child pornography. Gray had a relationship with the teenager after they met on social media and exchanged hundreds of emails. Gray was later arrested in January 2021 at a hotel in Hadley after the mother of the child alerted police that her daughter was missing. And Tavern on the Hill in East Hampton is reopening Monday after it was damaged in a fire this summer. Co-owner Amy Guyette shared a message for customers with 22 News. Thank you to everybody who has reached out and who has been sort of rooting for us. We're excited to get back. Guyette says insurance was able to help them maintain their staff and help get the place back up and running. Chance of flurries and sprinkles this afternoon, a high of 36 to 40. A mixture of rain and snow developing in the valley tonight. All snow for the hills to the west, an overnight low of 30 to 36. So plan on a wintry morning commute here on Friday. And the snow will continue in the hill towns Friday and in Franklin County. A rain-snow mix for Hamden and Hampshire County in the valley. A high of 36 to 40, dry mid-30s on Saturday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. Hey, it's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. You're out with friends and a few drinks becomes a few too many and you decide to drive anyway. What's the worst that can happen? Drive sober or get pulled over. Paid for by NHTSA. Well, all eyes are on the weekend now with what looks to be an impressive snowstorm for the mountains with some possibly measuring the total in feet by the time it's all said and done. And it all couldn't be happening at a more perfect time to supercharge our season for the holidays. Hey, Catamount's got a half dozen runs, three lifts for opening day with up to a dozen trails this coming weekend. They could get some substantial snow too with this next storm. Wood Houston, a half dozen runs skiing till seven. You got two dozen open at Stratton. Killington picked up a little new snow yesterday so did smugglers notch they've got a half dozen runs open waterville valley 14 trails and Bretton woods on eight hey this report brought to you by smugglers notch for modware family funds guaranteed visit smugs.com check out more at snowcountry.com i'm jason dean what's the latest scoop from beacon hill and what will january bring join us when we speak with state representative lindsey sabadosa who will be our guest Friday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Socks are good. One of those gifts you can't help but say, oh, thanks. But alpaca socks? You can't help but say, oh, wow. Have you ever worn alpaca socks? Go to the Atlas Farm Store and get a pair for yourself and a pair for someone else. Someone who's on their feet a lot, who's outside a lot, whose feet are always cold. The Atlas Farm Store. It's a gift shop with fortuitous finds like local art tattoos, temporary tattoos made with vegetable dye, and cushy alpaca socks. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back. I'm very excited to talk about our next guest. So I think this is the fourth time that he's been a guest on our show. And each time he wears a different amazing hat that because uh, he, he just has more hats than most of us do. Hello, Dr. Jonathan Bayek. How Hello. are you? I'm well, sir. How are you? I hope you're recovering. I am recovering. I have I have the dreadful disease. I, I, 33 months of not... Uh, contracting COVID and I finally did last week and I'm waiting to test negative and every day I test and by the way I mentioned it at the at the top of the show but for folks who may not have health insurance for folks who may not have Medicare you can now as of yesterday I think right once again covid.gov on your browser and then put in your name and address and you'll be able to get to start off with four free tests um, no reason for you to be paying for it um, 
it's an important thing to have. So please avail yourself of that. But uh, John, before we start talking about the amazing concert that's going to happen this Saturday, I want to hear about your trip. You were just studying, as is your passion, uh, whale sharks once again, right? That's correct. I was in Tanzania off the East Coast in um, a place called Mafia Island. Wow. And so once again, how long have you been doing this and why do you do this crazy thing? So I, I do shark research because I enjoy it. Uh, I was a dive instructor. I still am a dive instructor, but before I went to medical school, that's something I did. And um, I, I love scuba diving. Uh, this time I didn't do a lot of scuba diving. I did mostly free diving because whale sharks move pretty fast, and they're not, they're not the kind of sharks. That, normally we will have a shark handler or, or, or somebody who's there to, to feed them, so they'll come back and over and over and over again. But whale sharks don't do that. They, they just they eat plankton. So I had to be able to swim pretty fast for pretty long um, so that I was free diving this time. But I do it because I enjoy it, and it was, it's a lot of fun, and whale sharks are pretty cool. They're pretty cool. They're the world's, most, the world's largest fish. Um, yeah. They're large enough to swallow a human, although they've never been known to. They're not carnivores. That's it's right. pretty interesting. But um, meanwhile, another one of the hats that you wear when we first met, you, um, you're sort of the driver in this region for One Roof for the Homeless. Could you tell us about One Roof? Before we talk about Saturday's show. Sure, I'm, I'm, I am not just the driver, I'm the founder and the president, and uh, definitely the, the driver. The uh, One Roof is a foundation, it's a non-profit organization to put on musical festivals and concerts in order to raise money to put tiny homes down for ho people who are unhoused. And this is our second event. Uh, we have a third at the, at the Pines Theater on June 17th with a lineup that I am very excited to announce I know we'll sell out. We've almost sold out Suzanne Vega. We have a handful of seats left. So I would encourage anybody who wants to go hear her. She's an amazing uh, artist. There's a Cloud Belly is the opening band. They're local, but they're growing very fast on the scene and expect that people will be very happy with them as well. So it's, it's pretty easy. Just at the Academy of Music, it's a Saturday night. Doors open at 7 and starts at 8. Um, there'll, be, there'll be refreshments there, sold by the Academy, and then we'll have our own area for one roof merch and donations should people want to do that kind of thing and uh should be a great show uh she's she's such a top line performer and and it's so great that she is doing this benefit how much money do you hope to raise as a result of the benefit on saturday night well i think we'll probably raise about fifteen thousand, um which isn't much uh a, a typical tiny home with that's really equipped with what you need is about forty thousand. So uh, it's a slow process. The first festival I had, I raised about 30, even though I had, took, had to take a whole lot of money to put it on. So I'm learning, you know, I mean, I'm a, I'm a physician on my day job. So learning to be a, a concert promoter and a festival director is, has been interesting, but I'm getting good at it, getting better at it. And I've partnered with some other people who are very professional at it. And, uh, you know, they're taking a, just a small amount to help me. And I think we'll do very well. And one roof is one roof is all over, isn't it? It's all over the country. Not yet. Right now, it's focused in in Northampton um, and Springfield. I think it's going to be you know Hampshire, Franklin, and Hamden County for the next few years. I do have some connections with um, the Bob Craft Foundation uh, through our attorney, who is represents both of us, and um, it sounds like he's interested in potentially allowing me to have um, more of like a live aid type of or a farm aid type of concert at Gillette. And I think that will really change. That'll be a game changer. We'll be able to make millions of dollars as opposed to just, you know, a hundred thousand or whatever. That is so promising. Why the homeless? You're a physician, you're an immunologist. Um, why, what's your passion to help the unsheltered? Well, um, <laughs> it's just, it's just altruism. Um, when I was a kid, uh, I, I didn't come from much, uh, didn't come from much, and so, but once a year, my mother would take, I, I grew up in the Boston area, would take me to downtown Crossing to get school clothes, which was like the height of the year, and um, I, I, I walked, I was stop saying um, uh, when I was walking down the street in Boston, there was several homeless people, and it just blew my mind that there were people who lived that way, so I started volunteering when I was probably nine or ten years old, maybe a little bit younger, and have spent a lot of my life doing volunteering for people who are unhoused. So that's that's pretty. It's a pretty simple reason. 
and I and I'm a musician. So you know, before I went to, to medical school, and then while I was in medical school, I was lead singer and guitarist in a band called Fuzzy Navel. I'm still a pretty good musician, um, and so I I do still play, but. I don't have the time to be a professional musician, so I get to I get to use this this opportunity to help other people, but also at the same time keep that part of my interests alive. In your discussion, uh, John Bayek, with um, people who themselves are unsheltered, I mean there are homeless shelters to take care of people, particularly this time of year, to so that they don't have to be sleeping under bridges when it's we have freezing rain, like they're predicting in the valley tonight. Um, but this is a different concept. This is small homes for mm -hmm. people to live in. Why uh, why that rather than the traditional shelter concept? So that's a great question. And the answer is also very simple. You can't get a driver's license without an address and you can't use a homeless shelter as an address. I mean, they, that's just not how it works. Um, and so if you can't get a driver's license, it's very difficult to get a job. And, you know, if you don't have a steady place to get mail, and don't get me wrong, there are some shelters, and I'm, I'm going to be working with CSO and um, Karen Jeffers. Clinical support options. Yep, they're, they're a local group. They uh, believe they're responsible for Friends of the Homeless. And uh, so we, we, I've already had discussions with them, but we're just trying to figure out what's the best partnership. And obviously both, both of us are looking to raise money. Um, I, I give a tremendous amount of money myself, but, you know, there's only so much that one person can do. And I'm looking for people to help. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing what a small group of people can do if they put their minds to it. And, and I think that's what we'll do. That's what we are doing. And so I have a few people that are really dedicated to this, and they have names, Dan Prindle and Leo Forrest and Nikki Anderson. Those are the four core of us. And they're there, and then you know, with other people who come, kind of come and go, we've been able to put pull these things off. And I'm going to keep doing it. I have no reason to stop. I'm a fairly young guy, and if I can jump in the water and chase whale sharks in Africa, I'm pretty sure I can be able to put together <laughs> some festivals. I think so. So, how did you learn about Suzanne Vega's passion to help the unsheltered? So you I don't know Suzanne Vega. DSP Productions is a local local production company, and I've been working with them, who they've been excellent, and uh, they're very good at putting on shows. They're expert at it, and they've worked with Academy of Music as well as the Pines Theater. So uh, they we've looked they, they looked at some other people too, and you know it's just a matter of figuring out kind of who's where, because one of the mistakes I I made the first time is you know there's a concept called one and done, which means that you hire an act and they you have to fly them in. I have to pay for their hotel room. I have to, you know, pay. It, it, it gets a little silly, the amount of details that go into it. So you end up spending a lot of resources that you don't need. And if you can find someone who's touring, and they're touring in your area, and Suzanne Vega lives in New York City, then uh, it, makes, it becomes a lot easier. So it's, it's really about strategic planning. There's lots of people that could have come. Um, I, I don't think, or I don't know Suzanne Vega. I'll, I'll meet her on Saturday. Uh, she may have a passion for this, and she may have decided to do this because of that. I know that some of the groups that did before were, were interested, because when you're nobody, when you're me, um, and no one knows who you are, it's, it's risky for them. They don't want to show up, and there's a plywood you know, platform and a couple of plug-in karaoke amps. They want to make sure that their performance is going to be up to, their, up to snuff when you're a professional musician. And so there's, there was a big question factor the first year. But once you prove yourself, and you know the industry's... You know, the industry is very good at telling each other what's going on with, with people like myself, the festival directors and concert promoters and stuff. So I have a very good reputation, and I'm, I'm hopeful that that's part of the reason why these performers are willing to come for what I think is a much more reasonable price. And at a very professional uh, uh, venue, the Academy of Music is a great place to hear concerts and to perform by all accounts. I'm very pleased. I expected that we were going to spend this time together uh, imploring people to get tickets, but you tell me that it's close to being sold out. It's almost sold out. the the The, the goal we were looking for is five hundred, and we're at four sixty. That's really fantastic. And that's not um, th those aren't fluff tickets. Those are actual tickets that were bought. I haven't even taken producers' tickets yet. So, if I get to the point where there's just where, where the few friends that I have that are coming just have to stand in the back. Dan, he does sound like a promoter, doesn't he? Yep. <laughs> Sounds just like he's been doing it for 30 years. 
He sounds like he knows what he's doing. We're going to be continue our conversation with Dr. Jonathan Baik. We're so happy that he's working to help those people who are less fortunate and remain unsheltered in our region. Let's sell those remaining tickets we have for Suzanne Vega this Saturday, the 17th of December at our Academy of Music venue. I believe the concert at eight, is at eight o'clock, the doors open at 7.30. We're gonna be right back with John right after these messages. Stay with us. My name is Luca. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz on Eisenberg, 101.5. WHMP. Yes, I think you've seen me before. If you hear something late at night, some kind of trouble, some kind of fight, just don't ask me what it was. Just don't ask me what it was. Just don't ask me what it was. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. We have a very unique and lethal combination of emboldened white supremacy in this country and unfettered access to guns. We need to keep talking about the intersection of white supremacy and guns. Guns are used in order to you know, elicit fear and power and control by white supremacists. And it's not an issue that's going away easily. 101.5, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well with Without unnecessary risk, Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit HugYourMoney.com. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you get the best local and organic produce, a butcher shop, wine and cheese shop, fresh seafood, and hundreds of bulk herbs, spices, and more. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs and generate over $7 million in purchases from local farms and businesses. River Valley Co-op is your food hub, bringing you the best from around the valley and world while supporting your neighbors and local farmers. Shop River Valley Co-op in Northampton and East Hampton today. River Valley. Homes aren't getting any cheaper. The Labor Department's November Consumer Price Index shows housing costs, which include rent, are still rising. In fact, the report says the index for shelter was by far the largest contributor to the monthly one-tenth of a percent increase in the CPI. Amazon is holding another discount shopping event for consumers, Very Merry Deals, and it may be consumers' last shot at holiday bargains. Now through December 21st, Amazon will continue to discount many of the most popular items this holiday season. Where does your favorite fast food restaurant stand with other consumers? A new study from consumer research firm Market Force shows Chick-fil-A is on top for a sixth straight year, narrowly edging In-N-Out Burger. Burger King, Jack in the Box, and McDonald's brought up the rear. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And it is my pleasure to be speaking with Dr. Jonathan uh, Bake, who is... Uh, the, the I guess promoter he is the one man show in essence he's got a few people helping him with respect to this concert to raise money for one roof for the homeless um, you can go to oneroofffestival.org and learn more about the status of things now to try to help the unsheltered in this region but also to see what else as time goes on is cooking there is a Suzanne Vega concert there are still 
tickets available. They're still hoping to sell out for this Saturday. The doors are going to open at 7.30. Concert's going to begin at 8 o'clock. And it is the incredible Suzanne Vega who's there. John, um, the OneRoofFestival.org last year at the, uh, was the year before, I guess. I'm yeah, it was the summer before last, yes. Summer before that, COVID got in the way, right? Yep. Um, at the fairgrounds, um, you you held a festival. Can you tell us about what, what you did then and what you're planning sure. for this year? Absolutely. So what we did then was started the whole process. So the, to, to create a, a, a nonprofit is a process. It's a legal process, but then it requires you know an attorney. But th- so all of that, and then you know just gathering the different bands. We had seventeen different bands for that festival. The uh, ticket sales were modest. We were looking to sell three. We sold about twelve hundred, so not bad. That the mask mandates had just come back in the two weeks before, so people were frightened. And it was outside, but there are inside places. You know, if you're going to get a beer or pretzel or something, you had you had to go inside and wear a mask. So I think that dampened it. It was a beautiful day. The full moon was out at night. I mean, it was really a magical experience. We did okay. You know, if I had sold three thousand tickets, I would have done a lot better, but I didn't. So uh, and I learned a lot, and it's a tremendous learning curve going from, you know, what I do for my day job and, and what that was. But now I'm fully in it, and I've, like I said earlier, had gained some credit, and uh, on the street credit at least within the industry. So that that went well. So that was that was the launch, and now this concert has gone much better. I mean, we've almost sold out, which is great. And then we have a really nice festival set up for the Pines Theater on June 17th, which uh, as much as I want to tell you who it is, it's not all on paper yet, so I can't. It's part of the deal. If you, if you start announcing things when before everybody's been signed and happy, it, it, it's a no-no. But uh, let, let me tell you, it's, it's going to be pretty great. And it shouldn't. It won't be horribly expensive to go. I mean, um, I, I make sure that when I set the prices, I set them to be very reasonable. I don't. <clears throat> there's no secondary sellers. Although I did notice that Ticketmaster and and some of them started buying tickets, so I had to stop that because um, I'm not a fan of that third party market because it just makes you know a thirty eight dollar ticket into a hundred bucks or more. <clears throat> so yeah, but they do that, and that's uh, so. This is a very very. I'm not going to say dirty, but I'll go ahead and say dirty industry. It's uh, full of profiteers, and I'm not one. I'm, my goal is, is quite altruistic. Uh, there's not one bit of profit that I get or any of the volunteers. Remind us here, you know, what what vision do you have two, three years out for one roof? Like, what's the goal? Once you buy property in the land, can you share a little bit about that? So there's, so my goal is to raise enough money to be able to provide that to other organizations. I'll purchase the homes, but they're going to have to be managed by somebody else because that's not my wheelhouse. My wheelhouse is raising money, which is a very important thing. So, you know, the, the farm aid is is sort of the model. What I'd like to do is have simultaneously on the East Coast, in the middle part of the country, and on the West Coast, a one-roof festival with amazing acts with thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people every year. And that's the goal. And it can be done, but it's lofty. Well, that is quite a vision. And have you gotten far enough to know how the recipient of a home will be chosen among the so many deserving and needy right. applicants? So um, my goal is to have one home purchased, I'll probably put it on my own land for now, and use that to generate sponsorships. And then eventually, and it's possible that I'll host somebody, but that'll ha- that'll ha- that screening process will have to come through the organizations that know the people. Because one of the things, if I'm going to create a community of, of, of tiny homes, small homes, the people have to be able to live together. And if, if you throw somebody in there who's not ready, mm. you know, with, you know, mental illness or substance abuse problems that aren't resolved. And, and, you, and um, you know, a housing first model is what, is, what this, is what One Roof is about, which means it's opposed to what a shelter model can be, which is, you know, go get a job, go get yourself you know, all fixed up and as much as you can, et cetera. I, I just, I don't think that's the way it's going to work. It hasn't worked so far. You have a perpetual, you know, revolving door of people in shelters. And, you know, it's, I talk to homeless people all the time. I talked to someone this morning when I was downtown, 
picking up a coffee. It was a guy walking around with a sleeping bag on his head. And I walked up to him. I'm like, well, what, are you, what are you doing, man? And he's like, oh, I'm just, you know. So he was clearly not ready. Um, I gave him some advice about where to go. And, you know, he walked away screaming. So, you know, there, there are some people who just really need a lot of services. And I just don't want to put them in those situations. But having said that, there is many, many, many people who are ready to be in, in a home. They just don't have the ability to do it. I'm curious what the cost is uh, currently for people who are on house that go in and out of the hospital system for things that they uh, in- incur living out. What That's a difficult number to give you because although there are federal programs that, that look at that, a lot of the organizations that help people who are unhoused are mm. private and mm. and. So that information isn't isn't necessarily collectible, mm. but the cost is high. Yeah, and the cost is high to society because right. these are people, and, and right. you know, they're they're people that you know. Unless our country has decided that we just don't care about people, and maybe right. we have, uh, but I haven't. Yeah, then you know these are these the cost of human suffering is is incalculable. Yeah, but if you think about you know ambulance drive, the hospital intake overnight, it's got to be in the thousands per person. Oh, it's in the per millions. Visit. It's in the hundreds of millions. millions. I mean, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then also, you know, the the people that are unhoused, where are they supposed to go? So right. often they spend they spend their time in the communities, and that sometimes causes business owners to have disruption in their business, mm. and it creates a you know uh, an animosity yeah. between the people. And you're walking down the street, you, know, you just want to go out and. Get an ice cream, walk down the street, and fifteen people ask you for money. It's it's yeah. difficult. Yeah, and I know that they're 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 coming up with a resource center here in Northampton, which would be great. Yeah, um, the Resilience I, Hub. Uh, the, uh, yeah. yeah, the Resilience yeah. Hub. Yeah. yeah, so that'll be helpful. But you know, and you don't want to just hide the people. You want right. the people to be able to live and thrive. Right. So really, they just need a place to live. And mm. I I think that that I'm very passionate about trying to help. You know what? If I help twenty people, it's twenty people that aren't there. If I help right. two hundred people, it's right. two hundred people. If I help right. two million people, it's two million people. Yeah. So I will keep going until I help all those that I can, and I still have some time, God willing. Well, there's no way to express our gratitude enough to you and those like you. Uh, if you want to find out more, and you should go to OneRoofFestival.org. Please make a donation. It is our neighbors. It is people who deserve better than the unsheltered life that they are living. Uh, John Fay, thank you. Every, everything you do for this region in ter- as an immunologist and also as somebody who is uh, putting your money where your mouth is and helping people solve their homelessness crisis. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you and happy holidays. Exploit you again and happy holidays to you. Everybody else will be back with you tomorrow. Please share your Friday with us on Afternoon Buzz. Dan Torres, have a nice evening. You too, Buzz. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP. There goes the light. Go ahead, you're on the air. When Radio Was relives the golden age of radio. Do you ever listen to the radio? Oh, I might tune in one of those comedy programs occasionally. Can't you see anything at all under that blindfold? Well, on a clear day, I can see the blindfold. You can. Yeah. I'm Greg Bell, and join me with a switch of a dial. When Radio Was brings you a whole world at your command. When Radio Was, right here, Sunday nights from 8 to 10 Live on 101.5 News and Talk WHMP. from Northampton in the Valley Quiet. since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station.